We continue in our study during the season of Lent around the theme of He Chose as we look at choices that Jesus made on your behalf and my behalf. Not only did Jesus choose to love us, he chose to heal us. We talked last week on how he chose to forgive. This morning we're talking about how Jesus chose to reconcile. And on each one of these, it's not only that we are the recipients, but then as followers of Christ, we're invited to have the Holy Spirit transform our lives so we become involved with that same process. It becomes part of our spiritual growth. So we are forgiven, therefore, what do we do? I didn't hear that. We're forgiven, therefore, what do we do? Exactly. We're loved, therefore, what do we do? We love. We're healed, therefore, we heal. We heal. That's an amazing thing, but we're part of that process of healing. God has provided reconciliation for us, so it's important for us to be ministers of reconciliation. Reconciliation means bringing two people together or two groups of people together. There's all kinds of reconciliation that needs to take place in this world. We talk about racial reconciliation, which is so essential, which is why we have the Be the Bridge program here at Faith Community Church. And if you haven't participated in it, we invite you to participate in it. And I believe there's about 18 people who are in our current group. We've had about 50 people who have gone through this process. I went through the, the program, and I found it extremely beneficial. It looks at racial reconciliation, but it also looks at reconciliation in every area because in order to be involved with large aspects of reconciliation, we have to be able to be involved with the individual personal reconciliation also. So we talk about forgiveness and what does that mean to forgive. We talk about all these different concepts that come together in our spiritual life to become agents of reconciliation. For most of us, let's be honest, where do we need to find reconciliation? First, in our relationship with God. There's no question. We need to have that faith in Jesus so we are reconciled, so we know that there's nothing between us and God, that we're forgiven, that God has loved us, and Jesus gave his life, and we trust in Jesus, and we don't think that we need to do something to earn favor with God, but we are made whole in that relationship with God. But then there's a second place that most of us have to work on reconciliation, and those are in our personal relationships with our family, with our friends, amen? With our family and our friends, amen? <laughs> amen. That's where it often happens. In those most close and most intimate relationships is often where we have the most trouble. It's interesting if you come to our passage this morning, which is Matthew 20, verses 22 through 28, and if you have your Bibles, please turn to them, or if you have it on a smartphone, you can turn to one of the Bible apps. Before you get to chapter 20, verses 22, there are things that have already come before it in the, the 20th chapter of Matthew. The first one is a man who comes to Jesus, who we know him as a rich young ruler, who wants to be reconciled with God. He knows that there's a problem between him and God, and Jesus explains to him it's really about faith. It's about coming to, to God in faith, and it's nothing that we do. But what has happened is his riches, his worldly possessions have gotten in the way. So Jesus tries to help him understand, you need to get rid of this stuff that is keeping you from having a relationship with God. And he goes away sorrowful because he can't do it. We become like that sometimes, where we let the stuff of this world become too important. Our jobs, our money, our possessions. 
Then the next thing we read in this chapter is Jesus looks out and sees all the, the problems. And he tells the story of the workers who work in the vineyard comparing to each other. The one gets paid, the next one works shorter, they get paid the same amount. The third group works a little bit shorter, gets paid the same amount, and it's jealousy that gets in the way. It keeps people from being reconciled because they compare themselves to one another, and we tend to do that. We compare ourselves to one another. And then finally, Jesus tells one more thing before we get to our passage this morning, as he explains that he himself is giving his life as a ransom. He's going to die this awful death on the cross. That it's about humility, that he came into this world to give his life for you and for me. At which point we are introduced to three people. James, John, and their mother. Some believe their mother is Salome from the women who are around Jesus. And we can talk about that another time. But the important thing is as these three people come to Jesus, we expect them to have a V8 moment. You know, ah, I get it, right? The light bulb went on. There's been all this stuff about being humble and, and not comparing ourselves to others and Jesus being our example. So we assume that they're just going to come in. They're going to go, I get it, Jesus. I need to live my life in such a way that I'm humble and I think of others. But instead, they do something very different. His mother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I got two pretty good boys here. I know them better than anyone else. So I've been thinking about it. And I'd like you to make one of them the person on your right-hand side and the other the person on your left-hand side in your kingdom. Now, she, she gives Jesus a little bit of option here. You get to choose which one gets to do first or second, but I really want to put them on, on the right and the left. Instead of hearing Jesus' teaching about how reconciliation takes place, immediately we find that these three are all about ego and getting something from themselves. Mark tells us that the two boys are in on the conversation also, that it isn't only the mother who says it. Sometimes I think she gets a bad rap, that the boys themselves also ask the same question. But herein lies the problem. When we go through life and there are problems, we're sort of on the same level with somebody and we're having a discussion with them. We have a tendency to think that we need to take a step up so we can lord it over people and tell them what's wrong. Jesus teaches us something different. Jesus teaches us to take a one-down position so we're humble in our relationships with others. If you and I are going to understand reconciliation, it cannot just begin with us yelling at someone or somebody being up here and telling somebody else something. It only happens when we're willing to be humble and take that one down position. To put it another way, we are our own worst enemies. Hear that? We're our own worst enemies. We have problems, we have issues, there are things that are wrong, and we want it done our way. I love verse 21 of our text. The mother comes to Jesus with these words. Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left hand, in your kingdom. It's interesting. I know sometimes I say you don't come to church to get a grammar lesson, but I'm going to give you one here. 
The word that's used here is an imperative. See, what's wonderful about the Greek language, it's a more ancient language than English, and so the way that a word is constructed, you know the tense. There's not the ambiguity you have in English language. This is an imperative, which means it's a command. This woman and these guys don't come asking something of Jesus. They don't say, Jesus, do you think maybe one of us could sit on the right hand or the left-hand side? They commanded of Jesus. Jesus, you will put these boys, one on your right and one on the left. You get to choose, but you will do this. She goes and tells Jesus what to do. Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? I suggest we do it all the time. We want God to do what we want and our way. They wanted, I think, and somehow to do the right thing. I really do. I think in their hearts they were following Jesus. They just had figured out that they were better than everybody else. So now they had a deal for him. I often like to say that our problem is life is we have a full-blown ego mixed in with a full-blown insecurity. So we either think we're better than people or we think we're no good. But we don't get the way Jesus is teaching us to live. Jesus teaches us to live that we're all equal, and then we choose to take a one-down position. We don't go through life and say, I'm less than. It's a choice that we learn to follow Jesus. I was in my first church for my first worship service years ago when I was living in Lowell. And on that Sunday, or one of those first Sundays, I think it was actually the first Sunday, I got invited to Rotary. I'd never heard of Rotary. But a gentleman in my church was a member of Rotary, and he invited me to go to a Rotary meeting. So I got myself all dressed up in a suit, and I went out to a nice lunch, and he paid for the lunch. And when I was there, people found out I was a pastor, and some people came up and talked to me afterwards, and they said, we're doing a protest in town. There's an adult bookstore that we want to shut down, and you're a pastor, and we'd like to invite you, and we'd like you to come and help us with the protest. So I left the Rotary meeting, all dressed in my suit, and we all went over to this bookstore. And please understand me, and you'll hear it in this story, the business is not a business that I want to have in our country. And I grabbed a sign, and I'm walking around with a bunch of other people, and all of a sudden, it hit me. I don't know the person who owns this business. I don't know anything about them. And the only impression they're going to have is if they find out that I'm a pastor, is some Christian pastor is coming to shut down their business. It was funny, because the next Sunday, I went to church, and things got even more interesting. The Lowell son had a picture of me. New pastor in town leads protest of adult bookstore. I did a little inquiry, and I discovered the same person who owned that bookstore owned a video store, a family video store. He had two businesses. So I made it my purpose to get into his other store and to get to know him. And one day I talked to him, and I said, I want you to know I protested in front of your store, and I want to apologize. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you your business was okay. But I had no right to do that. I didn't know you, and I had no relationship with you. He and I became friends. It's interesting, years later, he donated a Disney movie to our church fair, which he thought was really funny. 
said, bet you never had somebody like me donate to your church fair before, have you? And over the years, I've reflected on that, and I realized that until I got to know him, I couldn't express to him my problem with his business. Once I did, he knew perfectly well where I stood, and it was totally fine for me to have that honest conversation with him, which I did. I also got to know that he was a dad, and he had sons, and he took them to baseball card shows, and I like baseball cards, and we got talking about that, and we discovered we had a lot of things in common. We're our own worst enemies. When we think somehow that we can only make things better in life when we take a step up here and we tell everybody else what to do. Go read about Jerry Falwell and Larry Flint. Larry Flint, owner of Hustler magazine, and how Jerry Falwell befriended him and realized that he needed to love and be kind to someone. I saw Larry Flint talk about Jerry Falwell after he died and talked about what a genuine Christian man he was. Talked about how he didn't approve of his business, but how he still was a person who cared about him as a person. How often do we begin with the problems in life only seeing our side? Only seeing what we see and what's wrong and what the other person has done wrong and we're standing here and having the conversation and then we elevate ourselves above and pretty soon we're arguing, we're hurting relationships, we're blowing things apart and we are not living the way Jesus invites us to live. Amen? We are not living the way Jesus invites us to live. Amen? Amen. Jesus teaches us a different way. He doesn't teach us to compromise our values. He doesn't tell us not to be Christians. He tells us to do it in a Christian manner. He tells us to build the relationships so that we can have relationships with people, so we can speak truth and be honest. And there is a time and a place for peaceful demonstrations. I am not going to tell you there isn't, and that is not what the issue is. The issue is how we approach it and who we are as Christians and how we're part of the Ministry of Reconciliation. Because Pastor Stan doesn't say this, Jesus does. We're clueless. We're clueless. We make a mess of things, and then we make a bigger mess of things, and then we keep doing the same thing over and over, and we make a bigger mess of things. And so we double down on it, triple down on it, and it doesn't work. So what do we do? We do more of the same. Listen to Jesus' words about our cluelessness. As she explains it to this mom and to these two boys, verse 22, you don't even know what you're asking. Hear those words? You're clueless. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink? Listen to their response. I am. We are. Yeah, of course, Jesus. We can, we're, yes, we can do everything that you're doing. I have to begin with Jesus with the attitude every time that I'm clueless. So when I take a prayer request to Jesus and I tell him what to do, I always know that I don't know what I'm asking. I do the best. I bring him before him. That's why we pray the prayer, thy will be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray for God's will. I also think we need to begin with the understanding that we're not able to drink the cup that Christ drinks. 
Remember, the cup is an Old Testament metaphor for pain and suffering and going through the really tough, difficult things in life. And when Jesus gets to the end of his life, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there praying, sweating droplets of blood, saying, Father, if you could just take this cup from me, if there's any other way to do it, but only he is able to walk through that. We're not Jesus. We can't do what he did. We can learn from him. We can follow. We can obey. We can go through our own difficulties. But we're not Jesus. We're clueless. Which is why we need God's will instead of our own. We pray, Jesus, I need this really important thing. And if you would see it my way and do it my way, life would be better because I've got it all figured out. And then we go out and we manipulate and call it God's will because we're doing the very thing that we're praying for rather than humbling ourselves and saying, God, I'm putting it in your hands and I trust you. We find it overwhelming, don't we? To follow Jesus' will? Isn't that overwhelming, folks? If we're honest, it's overwhelming. You and I, on our own strength, cannot follow Jesus perfectly the way he invites us to follow. But you know what? We have another, the Holy Spirit, who lives in our hearts, who guides and directs and leads us and empowers us so that when we face those difficult things in life, when we're in those tough relationships, we don't have to say, Lord, I'm going to get up here and tell that person what to do. Rather, we take the one-down position, we pray to the Father, we trust in the Holy Spirit, we take a humble attitude, we speak truth in love, and we believe that the Holy Spirit will be working not only in our hearts, but in the hearts of others. We want reconciliation, let's do it Jesus' way. Let's learn to follow the way Jesus has laid it out for us. Because reconciliation begins with humility. Jesus put it this way in verses 25 through the end of our passage. Jesus said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be that way among you, for whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus calls them the Gentiles, which was a first century term, but he's talking about the secular world here. He says, you know how the secular world works. It's all about power. Who gets more money? Who gets more votes? Who can put it all together their own way? And then what do they want to do? They want to tell everybody else what to do. But don't worry about it because you're acting the same way because that's how people act. That's our natural tendency to grab more, to be more in control, to be stronger and tell everybody else what to do. But he says, Jesus' way is different. That's not God's way. That's not how God invites us to live our lives because we are not society followers. We are not Gentile followers. We're Jesus followers. We love our Savior who gave his life for us, who taught us that there's a different way. And lo and behold, when we do things Jesus' way, they all turn out better. It just takes a longer period of time. Our way, maybe we lord it over someone for a while and we think that we're getting what, what we want them to get until all of a sudden we're not in power anymore 
and we're looking up at someone else treating us the same way. And Jesus says, that is not how Christians live. That is not what it means to be a Christ follower. If you want to be great, Jesus says, he uses the word mega. Now we know the word mega. Mega millions. He's not talking about being a mega millionaire. He's just saying a mega power error. You know, if you want to be great, if you want to be really, 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 really important and really special, become a servant. Follow what others say. And then he says, if being great isn't enough for you, if you don't just want to be great, you want to be the best. You want to be number one. You want to be number one in God's kingdom. You want to be protos. We get the word proton from there, you know, little particle. First, if you want to be first, give up all your rights. Be a slave in God's kingdom. Say, I'm not just even going to just follow. I'm just not even going to think about it. I'm just going to do everything that God wants me to do his way. Then he says, you're understanding what it means to be a Christ follower. As I give up my will and I follow Christ, as I seek to ask Jesus, who is this person over here who I have a problem with, as I did when I was in Lowell, I realize that my Savior died for him the same as he died for me. And I need to build a relationship. And I need to get to know people. And we need to love. And we need to be Christ-like. Which brings me to my dog. Didn't you wonder why this sermon was called We're All Puppies? I've had dogs my whole life. I love dogs. And you know what I love about dogs? Is they start as little puppies. And I've learned a thing or two about puppies over the years. Do you know what puppies want to do? They want to make their owners really happy. That's all they want to do. And our little puppy has a mom. Actually, a mommy. Her name is Regina. And I watch our little Elsa wanting to please Regina. She gives up all of her will and everything, even though she's very willful, to make Regina happy. She just wants to do things her way, because that's what puppies do. But they're also puppies, so as they're trying to do everything they want to do, they're also puppies. So they don't do everything they want to do, and they realize that they go all different ways, but they constantly want to please, because they're puppies. And so as we're training our puppy, we can yell at her, we can scream at her, we can kick her, and we can hit her, and then what we have is an angry, nasty dog. Because no good dog owner does that. But as we love her unconditionally, and as we teach her what's right and what's wrong, we know that she's a puppy, and she wants to please us. And she especially wants to please Regina. And she's willing to give up her will for it. So you know what happens if you come into my house, she's a puppy, she wants to jump all over you, and then we have her sit, and then we have her do down, and she's like, oh yeah, that's right, that's, how they, that's what they want me to do. And she gets all excited, and she does what we call the boxer wiggle. They wiggle all over the place, and she learns to stay down. Because puppies have built into them this natural tendency by God to want to follow the one who loves them, who protects them, who takes care of them. We're all puppies. Folks, we can become servants, or Jesus asks us to go a step further, to be puppies. To fully submit ourselves to God. 
To learn that, that when we're wiggling around and we're not jumping up on people, that we don't even understand why we're doing that. She, it's not that she knows why she's not doing it, but the reason she's not doing it is because we don't really want her to knock over our granddaughter or our next grandchild. And we don't want her to be a dog that nobody wants to be around. And she doesn't know that. She just wants to please. And when we tell her to sit or to do down, she doesn't think about the fact, you know, someday I might accidentally run in front of a car and get killed. She wants to please us. She doesn't need to know all that. So when we teach her to sit and do down as she's tearing out, and we saw this with our last dog who became incredibly obedient, she could be heading straight out, and if we said sit, she would sit, and if we said do down, do down, it would save her life. Same thing is with us. If we can submit ourselves to God... And hear what Jesus teaches us. We don't need to have all the answers, because after all, what are we, folks? I didn't hear that. What are we? We're puppies. We're puppies in God's kingdom. We follow our Savior. We listen to him. We take the one-down position. We don't lord it over others. As Mother Teresa put it once, God doesn't call you to be successful he calls you to be faithful. That's what Salome and James and John didn't get that day. They went to Jesus, and they said, we're all here, and we'd like to be here, because then we'll be successful. And Jesus says, in God's kingdom, it's not about success. It's about being faithful. Reconciliation is a huge problem in our society. We have massive work to be done everywhere. And we can start with the big stuff, and I encourage you to do that, but we can also start right where we live. And I also encourage you to do that. To look in our own lives of how we can start taking that one-down position and learn to follow Jesus and learn to do it his way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Savior who lived a life so different than anything that we can imagine and taught us that at those times when we think we have it right and we command you what to do and we tell others how to live, that your spirit works in our hearts and pulls us back and asks us to submit to you, to follow you and to obey. Help us hear your voice in every relationship in our lives to acknowledge where we've been wrong to quit looking at what others have done, but to look at how we might follow you. We thank you for James and John and for their mom, because they represent so much of how we can live our lives. We pray for our world, for our community, for our society, for our families, and for our own lives. Help us this day to become more Christ-like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.